Welcome, fellow explorers. My name is Christian Alexanderson, and this is Hemlocks to Hellbenders, a podcast focusing on Pennsylvania's parks, forests, and great outdoors. Today, we're going to be talking about Pine Grove Furnace State Park. I love this park. I've been here numerous times to hike, run, and explore. I highly recommend attending the Fall Furnace Fest, which features pumpkin carving, artisans, historical reenactments, tells the famous Harry Hand legend. But before we get to the interview, here's the stats. Pine Grove Furnace is a 696-acre park located in Cumberland County. Available activities include hiking, picnicking, camping, swimming, wildlife watching, boating, biking, cross-country skiing, ice skating, snowmobiling, hunting, and fishing. A notable feature of the park is that it marks the halfway point of the Appalachian Trail. Pine Grove Furnace State Park gets its name from the iron furnace set up by George Stevenson, Robert Thornburg, and John Arthur in 1764. They named it the Pine Grove Ironworks. Nearby towns include Carlisle, Shippensburg, Chambersburg, Gettysburg, and Harrisburg. State parks that are close by include Kings Gap, Caledonia, and Mont Alto. You may enjoy the park if you enjoy lots of outdoor activities, no matter the season. From the Iron Masters Mansion at Pine Grove Furnace State Park, I'm excited to welcome Andre Weltman to the podcast. Andre is the chairman of the Friends of Pine Grove Furnace State Park. Thanks for joining the program. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about the Friends Group? So the Friends of Pine Grove Furnace State Park was formed in the summer of 2010. Uh, I was one of the original board members. And I got to tell you, at that time, I didn't even know what a Friends Group was. The park manager back then, Jason Zimmerman, called together a bunch of volunteers and people we had seen active in this park and said, you want to do a Friends Group? And I'm like, I guess, what's that? And um He got us organized through the Pennsylvania Parks and Forests Foundation, which is a nonprofit that is based in Camp Hill and currently has around four dozen friends groups across Pennsylvania state parks and a few of the state forests. So we were formed in 2010. I uh, became chairman of the group around 2014 or so. I don't even remember now. Um, We helped the park by raising money for special projects. We organize volunteers. We uh, generally keep an eye on the park's hiking trails, which is something that a lot of friends groups do because there's never enough state park staff to do that. Uh, And you mentioned history here. Well, um, we um, help to interpret the 250-year history of Pungor Furnace. We restore and maintain historical uh, locations, uh, including simply by removing invasive plants. We um, help with the wayside kiosks. Those are those educational displays, kind of waist high that you see in a lot of parks. We uh, help with the displays in the park museum. So uh, we are a big part of this state park. And I like to think we're a little value added to what the public experience is here. How would you describe the park to somebody who's never been here before? We're really diverse. Um, It's not a large park. It's only a little less than 700 acres, but we have two swimming lakes. Not a lot of parks can say that, one of which you can also go boating on. We have nature and history all in one place. Um, Because of the iron making, we have both of those lakes. Uh, We also have an iron furnace, hence the name. Um, So it's a lot of history, but not everyone wants to come to a park in order to to do the sort of the more intellectual stuff. Uh, We have a uh, campground for families with uh, RVs. It's a little more rustic than some campgrounds, 
There's also an organized group tenting area. That's a great state park parlance for the group campground. The Appalachian Trail passes right through the middle of our park, and it's a big part of the experience here. So we have the Appalachian Trail Museum and an old grist mill that is uh, currently closed. We're speaking during the wintertime, but it's a, a seasonal attraction. And in many ways, this park is a, a gateway or a jumping off point for the Michaux State Forest, which completely surrounds us. Is there something everyone should experience when they visit? I think people just need to get out into the park. Again, it's not a large park, only uh, you know, less than 700 acres, but we have uh, easy hiking trails. We're not totally flat, but it's not really steep and not really remote. So it's kind of an entry point to the outdoors experience. Uh, we do have what we call the hiker-biker AT. So it's a portion of the Appalachian Trail that is completely flat and uh, ADA accessible that runs sort of through the spine of the, our narrow park. And uh, you can go out on that, whether you're very mobile or in a wheelchair or whatever. We have the two lakes, and in particular, one of them, Laurel Lake, is a great place to see birds. We have bald eagles here. We have ospreys. We have uh, herons. So um, if you're a birder, it's a wonderful place. The other thing that a lot of people do when they visit is go up Pole Steeple, which is a more challenging hike. It's only one mile, but it's pretty vertical. I have to always remind people that Pole Steeple is not actually part of our state park. It's in the state forest, but the parking lot that most people use is in the park. So it's kind of a shared resource. I know this may be a difficult question to answer, but what do you love most about the park? People visiting. I mean, it's a lot of fun to share history with visitors, and that's a lot of what I do uh, for the park and as uh, head of the Friends Group. I love talking to people, and when I wander through the park or I'm on a hiking trail, whatever I'm doing, I'll stop and say hello to people all the time. And uh, you always get interesting stories, and I always ask people, is this your first time here? And for a lot of folks, it is. One of the fun things about this park is because of the Appalachian Trail, we have international visitors more than perhaps many other state parks, because folks come from around the world to hike the AT, and therefore, they're going to be passing right through Pine Gorge Furnace, which is near the exact midpoint of the more than 2,000-mile trail. The park has a long industrial history, especially ironmaking, starting around the time of the American Revolution. Can you tell us more about that? European involvement in this area was originally for the trees. Uh, we're in the mountains, therefore there's not much farming to do up here, so we have these forests. And uh, pretty soon after they started sawmills in the area and using the water power off the mountain slopes, uh, they realized they had iron ore. And when you combine water power and lots of trees to make charcoal fuel for the furnace and the iron itself all in one place, and we also have a little limestone in the area, don't even have to go far for that. You've got all the ingredients to make iron. So starting sometime in the 1770s, they built a furnace here and it kept operating until 1895. So we're talking uh, around the time of the American Revolution until exactly 30 years after the Civil War. Uh, there was other industry here towards the end of the iron making era um, as they saw the competition with steel making, you know, Pittsburgh and Great Lakes and all of that. They realized they needed to do other things with the natural resources, so they made bricks here from 1892 to about 1907. The forge that was here to make pig iron into wrought iron, that's now Laurel Lake. Well, that lake, starting in the 1870s, became a source of natural ice. So there was a substantial ice industry here uh, all the way up until the 1920s. And there's even the history of early recreation here. The Girl Scouts had a major camp 
that is uh, in between the two lakes, and it has its own fascinating history. And that camp operated from 1921 to or 22 till about 1967. And there's a lot of uh, things you can see from the camp when you're on our hiking trails. We, of course, also have the Appalachian Trail, which goes back to the 1930s. So there's all this history from the revolution all the way into the early park era of the first half of the 20th century. Well, just in case they don't run into you, where can they learn more about this in the park? One of the fun things about our park is we effectively have three small museums, all within a few hundred yards of each other. The park office and visitor center has a small one-room museum, which has a lot of things on display. And uh, just in the past few months, we've added a bunch more uh, iron. We've got pots and tea kettle and several new stoves. So we've got stuff to see there about the industrial history. Uh, you can buy books. Our friends group sells merchandise in the park office, including some history books. The other museum is the Appalachian Trail Museum in a uh, gristmill building that dates back to 1783. So you can stop there, and it's the only museum in the country, if not in the world, uh, dedicated to a hiking trail, and that's pretty cool. And then today we're sitting in the Iron Master's Mansion, which was completed in 1829. It's actually the third building to serve uh, as an Iron Master's residence or an office or mansion here at Pine Grove Furnace. And during the summer months, this building itself is effectively a museum. The other thing you can do is participate in some of my history talks. I dress up in a mid-19th century costume, and mostly between Memorial Day and Labor Day, I do a lot of public programming, uh, everything from amphitheater presentations to walking tours. Uh, I even have a program I developed that is uh, kayak through history. You have to sign up in advance for that, but we all supply kayaks from the uh, state park, and we go out on Laurel Lake and spend a couple hours paddling around talking history while we float. So there's all sorts of things you can do here. Let's say a visitor only has a couple hours to spend at the park. What do you recommend they do? Well, definitely see the furnace. Uh, it's funny that people can visit a park that has the word furnace in its name and not actually see <laughs> that 30-foot tall structure. Uh, so st stop by the furnace and there's interpretive displays around it uh, that are um, there. Whether or not the park office is closed, you can certainly read that stuff. Visit the AT Museum, the Abolition Trail Museum, if it's open uh, during the warmer months. Visit the park office. I would say walk the uh, biker-hiker trail uh, from the Furnace to Fuller Lake and beyond. Uh, go down to Laurel Lake at the other end of our park. It's about two miles from the Furnace and Fuller area. And uh, enjoy the scenery. Look at uh, birds and turtles and so forth. Let's say they decide to camp overnight or they're you know, staying at an Airbnb somewhere in the area. What do you recommend they do if they have a full day to spend in the park? Well, if you're mobile and uh, adventurous, go up Pole Steeple. I mean, that is one of the most popular hikes in this region. It's really a beautiful view, especially in the fall when you look at the fall colors. There are other hikes in the area. Sunset Rocks, also in the State Forest, is often accessed from Pangor Furnace, and you can go up the Appalachian Trail. There's a historic location called Camp Show that maybe we can talk about that's uh, just a couple miles literally from our state park. And I would say in general, just get out there and enjoy nature. Even if you just sit in your car, uh, people sometimes go down to the Laurel Lake boat ramp and just park there and look out across the lake. So you don't even have to be... Uh, uh, a big uh, hiker or mobile to enjoy this park. We've said it so far, but the park marks the center point for the Appalachian Trail. Other than the park serving as a significant milestone for hikers, what other AT-related activities can you participate in at the park? Well, again, the Appalachian Trail Museum, I keep mentioning that because it is such a, a treasure. A 
fun thing to do through the warmer months is to go to our park's general store, which is close to the furnace in the park office. And that's the place that Appalachian Trail hikers traditionally do the half-gallon challenge. So the idea is they're halfway uh, up the Appalachian Trail, whether they're going south north or north to south, no bows and sobos, and they're supposed to stop and eat a half gallon of ice cream in one sitting. Uh, so that can be a lot of fun to um, just sit there and talk to the hikers, uh, ask where they're from, watch them do their half gallon challenge. Uh, oftentimes, they're really, really starved for calories. They've been out in uh, exercising. So they'll order a cheeseburger and order a fries and do the half gallon challenge all at once. And that is quite something to see. Now, do people come here and actually do the half gallon challenge that are in no way actually hiking the trail? I suppose they might, but I would not recommend it. <laughs> and the other thing you can do uh, in terms of the Appalachian Trail is literally walk on the AT. Uh, I've mentioned the uh, hiker biker AT trail. It's um, flat, ADA accessible, and it is the Appalachian Trail. It's one of the few places on the entire trail where you can legally ride a bicycle and one of the few places where you can, um, you know, run a, a wheelchair down it. So, uh, I love telling people on my walking tours when we're doing the furnace area and so forth, I can say to them, Hey, we just took a 90 second walk on the Appalachian trail. You can boast that you took a hike on the AT today. And of course that's all white blazes. So people should look for that as they go through the park. They often don't recognize that they're on this national scenic trail while they're also just strolling through the woods. When's the best time of the year or maybe a season to visit the park? Any time is good here. Um, the busy times for public programming and the campgrounds and so forth is more or less Memorial Day to Labor Day, but also the fall is a big thing here. I've already mentioned uh, fall foliage and so forth. And during the um, uh, third weekend of October every year, my group and the park put on the Fall Furnace Fest, which is a really wonderful two-day event. Uh, we have over 8,000 people visit our little park and we have history activities. Uh, I lead a living history group that makes charcoal using the traditional methods. Uh, and that's a lot of fun to watch. At least I hope it is. We get uh, a lot of smoke and uh, dirt on us and we have other history activities. And it's also a traditional festival with, you know, the usual festival food and uh, dozens of vendors. And uh, for some people, they come to the festival and then they also get to see that there's this whole state park here and maybe they'll come back some other time. So I'd say any time of year, but the fall is probably a lot, a lot of fun for folks who haven't been here before. The fall festival is very quickly becoming one of my favorite things to do every year. Not only is there the food, but there's artisans, there's the living history, there's the hairy hand uh, tradition, which I have absolutely fallen in love with. Yes. And I, I didn't mention that. Uh, thanks for bringing it up. So there's this fake ghost story. And uh, don't tell the children, but uh, it's not a real hand. Uh, what we do is um, on the Saturday of the festival, people, kids and adults too, go carve pumpkins. And we sell them and give uh, you know a spot to do the carving. And then there's a little pumpkin parade, uh, just a half mile, not even, where um, people bring their pumpkins over to the Fuller Lake Beach. And the park has a set of um, floating risers, kind of tiered platforms. And all the pumpkins get loaded on there with um, lights in them. And we push it out onto the lake. And it's really pretty. If you've never seen this, you should check it out. And then we have a, uh, I think, four-minute ghost story. We've got it recorded now. The, the basic idea is that a miner drowned in Fuller uh, when it was a uh, ore pit. So they took iron ore out of there, which is 
actually true. It was 90 feet deep when they stopped using it in the 19th century. But no one ever drowned in there while they were mining iron. There were industrial deaths. A couple workers through the decades did have stuff fall on their heads. And so uh, during this legend of the hairy hand, a green glowing hand comes up from the far side of the lake and everyone stands on the beach and yells, hairy hand, go away, and it drops back in the lake. It's silly, but it's a lot of fun. When I first attended the festival a couple of years ago, and I actually had no idea what was happening. All of a sudden, children started mar uh, marching down with their pumpkins, and then this recording started, and they were talking about the hairy hand, and my eyes lit up. I'm almost 40 years old, and I was so excited. I was like, this is such perfect small-town America. All the kids were excited. All the parents were excited. I just absolutely love it. Great. Well, I hope folks will come see it. What other sort of events are hosted at the park? Well, uh, like many other state parks, we hold volunteer work days for Earth Day in April and National Public Lands Day in September. Uh, we also have something called Woodsy Owl that we do in the fall here. Um, so these are opportunities for people to come out for just half a day and uh, help pull barberry and other invasive plants and do other tasks around the park and uh, get their hands dirty and kind of pay back for um, uh you know, the, the public use of these parks. I think people really get inspired by that. We plant trees and our friends group will buy trees and then uh, park staff will help uh, direct get, you know, getting them in the ground. So we do those sorts of things. And then typically our friends group uh, is able to grill up some hamburgers and hot dogs and so forth. And we have a shared lunch in the middle of the day. So the volunteer activities like Earth Day, the public programming, uh, I've mentioned the history, but of course we have a park educator who Usually in this park focuses more on the uh, nature uh, activities. I do the history and then the park's own educator does everything else. We have a uh, uh, iron run, we call it, and charcoal challenge, which is fundraiser for my friends group that we do in the second Saturday of June. So that's a half marathon and a 5K on a Saturday morning. There are other races that are held here. Uh, usually as fundraisers, um, it's a great jumping off point for the Michelle State Forest. So a half marathon or even longer can start here, go into the forest, and then loop back. So those are the sorts of things uh, that we have in terms of formal organized events. In the 1930s, the Civilian Conservation Corps had a camp just up the road from Pine Grove Furnace. What is Camp Michelle? The Iron Company owned five farms. When they were making iron here, they were trying to save money and basically feed their workers off of their own land. And the original farm was this location we today call Camp Michaud. So it was a 250-acre farm from the 1780s and through the 1920s they were farming up there, even after the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania bought the land. And then during the Great Depression, there's this um, federal program called the Civilian Conservation Corps, CCC, which uh, sometimes called Roosevelt's Tree Army. And so starting in 1933, hundreds of young men were uh, going out into various camps. And these were all across the country, but uh, California and Pennsylvania in particular had a lot of these camps. So the first CCC camp on state land in Pennsylvania was right up the road from Pine Grove Furnace. That CCC group would be out in the forest replanting trees that had been cut down for the charcoal industry, the furnaces up and down the mountain chain and building roads and doing all sorts of things. Uh, with the outbreak of World War II, the CCC program ended and then the interesting thing is that Camp Michaud, as we call it today, it became a top-secret interrogation facility for the U.S. Army. And there were more than 7,500 German prisoners through this little camp in the middle of the woods. There were also 161 Japanese prisoners towards the end of the war came through. 
Now, this was an interrogation facility, but this is not coercive. They actually treated them very nicely. There are all these um, stories which are not true about uh, abuse and so forth. That did not happen. You get more uh, flies with honey. So they would have some of these prisoners come through here, decide if they had more uh, to tell. And if they did, some of them went to established interrogation facilities in Virginia. Uh, and there was one near San Francisco. So this was a sorting facility. Most of the prisoners were only here for a few weeks at most. So that is really a nationally significant aspect of Camp Show. Uh, it was then a church camp at the end of World War II. It was handed over basically a summer Bible camp uh, until uh, 1972. It kind of languished for a number of years. And then starting around 2011, the Cumberland County Historical Society uh, developed a, a self-guided trail system so you can follow numbered posts. And besides my involvement with Pine Grove Furnace as the head of the Friends Group, I also lived just up the road from Camp Michaud, so I helped maintain and interpret that historic site. Today, you can go for a walk there. It's a very popular spot for mountain bikers to start out and uh, go through the camp and then explore the Michaud State Forest. And Birders, the um, Michaud State Forest uh, uh, DCNR, has just built two birding platforms. And the paths up to them are still being developed, but uh, early in 2023, I bet they'll be easily accessible. Um, and so there's a lot of things, both nature and history, you can do up there. And it's kind of almost a satellite uh, functionally uh, from Pine Grove Furnace, although it is in the state forest, not the state park. If someone's interested in becoming a volunteer with a friends group, what should they do? How should they reach out? They can always go to our website. We're just switching over at the start of 2023. So our new website is friendsofpinegrove.org. They can send us a direct email on Gmail. We're uh, at uh, pinegrovefriends at gmail.com. And they could stop at the park office and grab one of our green uh, membership brochures that talk about our, our group and what we do. And, you know, we are trying to raise money through donations and memberships. And also you can just grab one of our members. Sometimes it'll be me wearing an orange volunteer shirt uh, all through the summer months in particular. I'm in the park a lot. I'm here practically every day. So if you see someone in a volunteer shirt, stop and talk to them and ask what the friends are all. Do you have any tips for people that are going to want to come to the park after this podcast? The first thing I'd say is uh, remember that cell service, internet service in the mountains is really spotty. Uh, it is uh, funny sometimes that people come up here and they don't understand why their phone can't call up a map or uh, send an email or whatever. I don't want to scare anyone away, but this is the mountain. And so uh, you have to expect that. There are just a few Wi-Fi hotspots to be found, such as right outside the Appalachian Trail Museum and outside the mansion. But by and large, you're coming into the forest, hopefully to disconnect a little bit from that sort of thing. Um, wear good footwear. I hate to say it, but I have seen people on flip-flops trying to take a hike. And sometimes I have to stop them and say, are you sure you want to climb up this mountain ridge wearing, you know, this sandals or flip-flops? Be aware that up here in the mountain, the weather is not the same as down in the valley. Don't drive up the mountain with bald tires and two-wheel drive and expect that you're going to go anywhere in the wintertime. Andre, thanks so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun speaking with you. I want to thank my guests for joining this episode of the podcast. Be sure to visit our website and follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more information about upcoming episodes. This has been Hemlocks to Hellbenders. I'll see you out there. Hosting, production, and editing by Christian Alexanderson. Music by John Sauer. Graphics by Uncle Traveling Matt's Random Expedition. 